Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, July 29, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 100, paragraph 4, starting with Assuming We Are Spiritually Fit. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Carolyn S., 12 Traditions, Janice P., Reading the Text, Esther C., Marcella M., and Marie P. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, July 28, 2014, 6697. 6697. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carolyn S. to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Carolyn S. from New York, recovering uh, today. Um, Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Having had, twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I will now ask Janice P. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning. My name is Janice, and I am a recovering compulsive of eater. The 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a, well for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Each group should be I'm sorry four. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five. Each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation for all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone could share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 100, paragraph 1, assuming we are spiritually fit. I will ask Esther C. to begin reading. Good morning. Thank you, Melanie. My name is Esther C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Canada. Assuming we are spiritually fit, we could do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go to their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. 
our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. When I first came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, this is this is um, not what I was taught. I was taught that once I was abstinent, I would have to protect that abstinence by doing a lot of tools and, what did they say, avoiding people, places, and things that could trigger me to eat. I was also taught that since I had to eat, I was now going to be in the unfortunate position of having to eat three times a day. So they said that I was going to have to take that tiger out of the cage three times a day. The three times a day I would have to face, you know, my disease and and face the prospect of, of, you know, being triggered simply by eating. Now, I wasn't happy to hear all this when I came in, but I figured, you know, slim and crazy over the food is better than fat and crazy over the food. So I resigned myself to a a lifetime of of miserable on-again, off-again abstinence. But, hey, they told me that they were going to love me so that I'd be okay and that would be fine. But thank you, God, that that's not the case today. And this is what I learned when I finally met a a group of compulsive overeaters who were studying the big book. And they said that when they were recovered, that they no longer had that obsession over the food and that they today have a neutral attitude towards the food. So this is what I, as this paragraph is saying, this is what I like to tell the newcomers, or the new prospects or those that I'm working with, that as a recovered person, I can go to family gatherings, I could do holiday parties, holiday dinners, I can go to social gatherings, I can make and serve my binge foods, I can have it in the house and watch others eat it, and I remain neutral around the food. But that's, of course, assuming that I'm spiritually fit. I, I have this memory of, several years into program before I had done the steps properly as they're outlined in the big book, talking to a person who I thought, you know, had good recovery, and she mentioned to me how nervous she was to go away for the weekend because her mother was serving all of her favorite foods. And I thought, gee, does it have to be like that? Like, is that all the best that I could that I can hope for in this program is to struggle and fight, you know, with the food? And And just last week I was at my face-to-face meeting, and I met a newcomer, and I shared to her this, the, you know, these thoughts that I'm sharing with you today, how the food was used to be constantly on my mind. It was chattering in my ear all day and leaving me no peace. But that, thank God, um, having done the steps, experiencing that psychic change, and living a spiritual life every day, you know, that's that's growing. That's my intention. That those voices have been silent. I'm no longer um, listening to that monkey chatter all day. And she came over to me and she said she was brand new in OA. She had tried six different meetings in the entire city, and not not one meeting and not one person at any of those meetings has shared that with her. And she said, "That's what I want more than just losing weight." She said, "That's what I want." She says, "We." She says, "How do you did you get what you what you have, and could you show me how to do it?" And that's my experience. That one thing about newcomers is they probably figure that they're going to lose weight if they get a good food plan, but they never even believe that that one day they're going to have a neutral attitude over the food. And that's what this paragraph is, is telling us, that we should share that with the newcomers, that when, once we were spiritually fit, we could do all those things that we never were able to do when we were just dieting. And thank you um, for letting me share. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Esther. Who would like to comment on what was just read? Barbara. Sylvia. Katie from Boston. Sylvia. I heard Syl- Sylvia, and I heard Katie, Katie. And, then I, and I heard KG, and then and I heard Laura. one other person. Devora from New Jersey. Barbara. And Barbara. Anybody else? Very good. Sylvia, Katie G, Devora, and Barbara. Good morning, Sylvia. 
Good morning, everybody. This is Sylvia, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. And, uh, boy, there's a lot of us who have a lot to say on this, so I'll keep it short. But um, this is such a great passage, and it was such a great share. When I came in, um, I had such fear over the food because I knew that the food was my higher power. I didn't know that's how to phrase it, but, the, you know, I... I was being held hostage by the food because it's all I would think about, whether I was eating it, if I was going to eat it, what I was going to eat, and then I promising myself I wasn't going to eat too much and then knowing I was going to eat too much and then being shamed. I mean, so it was just such a vicious cycle. So I, too, came in and I got abstinent. But for the, you know, the first couple of years, I didn't understand the big book. And so it was a white-knuckle abstinence. It was always, you know, the the fighting to stay abstinent. So I got a normal weight, but I was still crazy. And um, so I went through a whole lot of different versions of OA. You know, I went through, you know, what we call regular OA, OA90, FA, you know. It, it, and And then I got myself back to the big book. Um, with all of you, I, I started with a, another big program before this, because what they promised was that the obsession would be lifted, and that's what I wanted. So I knew that I was never going to be normal with food, but I wanted to have a normal relationship with food, and I believed that that was possible. And um, and so that's exactly what happened. I I had to do the work. I had to do the work in the steps, and the obsession was lifted. And now if food starts to talk to me again, it means that it's, I just use it as a spiritual barometer of my fitness, my spiritual fitness. So if the food is starting to talk to me, I don't, I don't get in fear. I just go, ha, huh, what's going on? And I go back to do my work, my step work. And uh, so, and now I know how to start it myself. And if I can't get it lifted immediately. I know to call my sponsors, but I, I, I know what to do. But early on, when the food is still a master, because when we come in, even when we work steps one through nine, we aren't, it isn't lifted permanently and, and forever. And I know when I went into the grocery store, there were aisles I could not walk down. And I had done steps one through nine, and I was feeling a lot better. But I, I wasn't recovered the way I am now, where there isn't, there isn't anywhere that I can't go. I can eat out with friends. I can, you know, I could be at family gatherings. I can go to the grocery store. I just don't think about it anymore. And it's because I know how to work the steps of the program every day. I know how to have that spiritual connection every day. You know, imperfectly, please don't think that I am doing this program perfectly. I'm not but the obsession has been lifted, and, and that's the gift. That's the gift that um, I think this passage is talking about. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia F. Katie G. Thanks, Melanie. Good morning. Katie G. Recovered from Boston, Mass. I'm just delighted to be here in a place of neutrality this morning and um, love what previous speakers have said about you know the, the, the sentence, the paragraph starts off, Assuming we are spiritually fit. So what does that mean? Fit is in good health because of regular exercise. So you're saying i got to go to the gym a lot? No, we got to be spiritually fit. So I need to be regularly exercising my tools of my steps of 10 and 11. 
so that and obviously 12 so that eating isn't going to be a step up right like if i'm in filled with resentment and i'm walking in to um some place and i haven't done my resentment turnaround my fear turnaround and then thrown myself harder into helping others yeah eating's going to be a step up from how i feel about myself and I have to be honest, like this disease took so much from me that when I just had gotten out of the hospital, I spent years not going out to eat. I spent years going to my family, expecting them to act differently, expecting them not to have desserts around, being totally afraid that the food was going to jump off the plate into my mouth, willing myself, you know, don't look at it, don't think about it. You know, um, I skipped holidays now. Um, as a previous speaker mentioned, I was not spiritually fit, and I needed to protect myself. But what makes me sad today is to know the years that I spent in Overeaters Anonymous being sad because I, I can be neutral today. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want the food. And when I, if if that thinking is coming in, I I have some serious work to do. Um, but you know, I I frequently am, you know. When I'm getting into a relationship with new people, um, people ask me, you know, is it is it rude? Can I eat this in front of you? And I'm like, please, don't change your behavior because that's another sign of my selfishness. Like, here I am. I can't eat certain foods, but you need to change what you're doing so I'm more comfortable, right? There, there's no God in that. So, you know, when I when I go to places, I have food in my house that's not mine. You know, thank you, God. It's not my food. I don't have to eat it today. I don't have to think about it. And um, and thank you, God, that I don't have to be obsessed with the bondage of me. Like, I don't have to think, you know, what do I look like? And, and what does that mean? It means that I have directions when I go places. You know, in the next page, we'll talk about this more. But when I go places, I can think, gosh, God, how do you want me to bring? What do you want me to bring to this occasion? Not what, like, what do you want me to be? And I spent years out and in Overeaters Anonymous hiding from anything that's going to stimulate me. But guess what? Guess what's going to stimulate me? Opening my eyes and taking a breath. That's going to stimulate me. So I have to have God. And the way to get to God is to do the steps and to live them a day at a time. And I'm so grateful to be here. With that, I pass. Thank you, KDG. Deborah. Hi, good morning, everyone. Hi, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. This is Devorah from New Jersey, recovered. Thank you, God. And assuming we are in spiritual, we are spiritually fit. We can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. And I am a living testimony of that. Thank you, God. I mean, um, like the previous speakers have said, um, you know, the food, you know, I, I, you know, it was just, it took over, it took over my life. And um, I did not even know that, you know, how much it held me back from living because I was just so in it and I couldn't get out of it. It was, I was in such a, a deep pit. And um, it was just like, it was normal for me to just, just isolate and be away and not, and not contribute to life and just want to do my own thing. And, you know, coming into program and, you know, yes, we have the physical part of the program. You know, we have to do certain uh, things, you know, have to abstain from certain substances, which cause me to crave, you know, how the doctor's opinion talks about it and the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. Yes, I needed to read that over and over again to really understand it and to know 
that this is who I am. And it was an aha moment for me when I when I did read that and learn it, and it, it like everything clicked into shape. Like, so that's why it wasn't a moral issue. It was so. This is why I'm not like everyone else. And then I needed to connect the spiritual part of the program. Um, you know, um, you know, how am I going? You know, going with God everywhere, wherever I go, and knowing that. Whatever they have there, it's just not for me, and I don't even want it, and I don't even care about it, and I don't even go over to the table, you know, to see what they have. You know, what a miracle today is that I can show up today and be part of life and not go because of what they're serving and what they're having and to say, no, thank you, I, it's not for me. And it is, I, I'm, you know, I'm showing up today, I'm living life today, and I remember Years ago, when I got into program, my husband said to me, we, we, we can't even go out anymore. It's like, we don't do this anymore. Like, you know, because honestly, our relationship depended on, you know, the food. And I said, you know what, honestly, I really don't care. We can still go out. You want to go out for a slice? We could do that. It's not a problem. I'll, I'll, I enjoy doing that with you. And, uh, and you can have what you want. And, you know, but... The years went by, and he really didn't want, you know, he didn't want to eat on his own. And, you know, he saw that what I was doing um, was something that this is, you know, made. You know, he hated what I was doing until he realized that he, he reached his bottom, and what I was doing was sane, and what he was doing was not, and he got into program. So, you know, we still don't go out for that slice anymore, and we're able to um, go to a lot of different functions. We were invited to a lot of social occasions, and and we go and we show up and we enjoy and we and and we're you know it's just a different look. It's just a different time that we have, um, and it's all because you know you know we're working the program and we're we're a day at a time giving it over to God and, and, and not running the show. And just so grateful to have another day of um, work, having the opportunity um, to bring God into all my affairs and not having that fear and obsession. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah. Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Um, what a powerful paragraph, and it takes me back to my journey in the steps and in the program and in recovery, and I see that that was my path, was to to learn, to have the, quote, educational variety of the spiritual experience, as the appendix in the big book says, the educational variety, because early on in program, I was this person described here, and so I can relate to anyone who's doing that because I fought it. I locked up food in the trunk of my car to prevent myself from getting up at night. Did it stop me? No. If the madness was on me, the insanity, I was out in the dark unlocking the trunk of the car. I eliminated foods from the house that children could have had for lunches to protect myself, quote, to think I was protecting myself from that demon food. Uh, did that stop me if I wanted it? No. The the will was so strong, just as the will in surrendering to God's will is so strong now uh, in the other direction, in recovery. And so I remember I used to hear 
the title of this uh, as I was coming to see that the fighting didn't work. It just didn't work. Uh, and I, there was a play that said, your arms are too short to box with God. And I thought, well, that's me. My arms are too short to box with food. Um, and so I had a sponsor who saw what I couldn't see in myself, and she gave me a copy of the book, Came to Believe. And I, and I read it, but I just didn't get it. I hadn't really had a deep enough experience of the steps to get the deep spirituality. And I also confused spirituality with religion. I thought, if I'm being so religious, why am I leaving my religious practice and needing to go to food as came to see my, my God, my false God? So I, I had to have the guidance of other people and my sponsor to bring me to the spiritual fitness that the steps bring me to and see that it's, I can be strong in my religious practices, but my, my launching pad is the 12 steps. And um, so I had to be one of those people who came, who came to and came to believe. And so that's the story that I can share with others in working with others. That's my story, and that's what I can share, because there is nothing, there is nothing that would prevent me from getting food if I wanted it, if that was my will. Just as there's nothing that can get in the way of surrendering that strong will to God and to the way of the 12 steps. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Lauren, Janice, yeah. <laughs> so let's see. I heard Lauren S. And I heard Janice M. And I heard Larry from Chicago. And then what was the last one? Rochelle. I heard Rochelle. And Raquel. Judy F. Judy F. Say that one more time, please. Patty M. Patty M. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, so I have Lauren, Janice M., Larry from Chicago, Rochelle, Raquel, Judy F., and Patty M. Did I miss anybody? Okay, I'm going to take it with that. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Lauren S., as in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is where the 12-step promises begin. This is the real juice. This is the good stuff. This is the stuff that I went to meetings after meetings and I didn't even hear these promises till actually this meeting itself. I I still don't hear these too often in the face-to-face meetings. This is what we want, you know, neutrality, to, to just live life free from food and weight obsession. And, I mean, an example, okay? I mean, this is how I live my life every day. It's to the point that I can forget that I'm a compulsive overeater if I don't work with those still struggling because my mind is 
so it's like cleared up with God's grace that I I don't think the same anyway. It's like I have a lobotomy, you know. I went with some friends, and they're not in they're actually in a different fellowship. To I mean, I'm almost remembering this after the experience. It was an ice cream parlor. There were and and this particular chain. I mean, there's like three options. It's pretty much I forget what the options are. Like like it, love it, or gotta have it, or something. And you get enormous portions. I guess the smell is very strong, and it's very sugary, and it's like gluttony, and it's a paradise for people like us if we're not recovered. And I remember going to that place with my mom. I was shopping for pants, and all I could think about was I want that ice cream. And it just filled my mind. I had a party that night. It was Christmas season. All I could think about was that ice cream parlor. I went with some fellas a couple weeks ago, and I can't even tell you if they ordered ice cream or if anybody in the parlor ordered ice cream. I, it's as if I was in a hardware store. And I remembered it after the fact. It's like a silly anecdote. Oh, yeah, I'm in an ice cream parlor, and I don't even notice if there's ice cream being served or what it smelled like. So God just takes care of his kids and... It's a beautiful promise. So with that, I will pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Janice M. Yes, thank you, Melanie. And uh, good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater. All right, I'm going to take that last line of the paragraph. I'm going to go backwards. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. What are they talking about, our experience? Well, the people that, uh, the men and women that wrote this book were recovered. That's the most important thing. That's their experience, that they can go to these places without any mental obsession. So that's the first thing, because therefore they are spiritually fit. If I cannot go, if I cannot go to a wedding or a cruise because my trigger foods are there, then the trigger foods are still telling me what I can do and what I cannot do. You know, I have experiences of going on a cruise abstinent, and I have experiences of going on a cruise recovered, and it's too different things. You know, I would go on a cruise abstinent and try to white-knuckle it until about the fourth day and then say, you know, I was good for four days. I can eat now a little bit. But when you go as on a cruise recovered, <laughs> it's altogether different because now um, I'm free. You see, I have a freedom. And it's important to keep in mind that the authors bring this up only only after presenting all the steps. It's not put in after step three. It's put in only after presenting all the steps. And assume that us, we, the reader, has worked them all and is spiritually fit as the result of the steps. 
and um, spiritually fit, you can remind ourselves on page 84 and 85, we have ceased fighting anyone or anything. And you can read that on your own. You know, I've had a, a sponsee, um, a couple of them, you know, I would suggest very kindly that they cannot go on a cruise just yet, that they shouldn't. Um, that, but that doesn't mean they're never going to go on a cruise. And they said, I said, well, you're really not spiritually fit yet. And they, they would get very upset because spiritually fit, you're telling me that I don't have a God in my life and all this? And I'm saying, no, I don't mean that. Um, you know, because they're thinking like the previous uh, speaker said about religion. And they couldn't understand that they were on like step three or something. And uh, no, it's it's quite different. So if we are free, if you are spiritually fit, you can go. If you're not, mm, it's better to wait. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Larry from Chicago. Good morning, Mel. Um, thank you for your service. <clears throat> Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, heard a lot of good things. You know, here, here's the deal for me. You know, I had not accepted the plan outlined in this book. So since I did not accept the plan outlined in this book, I didn't work that plan. <laughs> you know, I worked my plan. And can you guess what happened? My plan didn't work. Well, I worked my plan for decades, but even after coming into this program, I didn't accept the plan outlined in this book. You know, prior to working this practical program of action, I continued to struggle with life. Uh, food was one of the things I struggled with. Relationships, you know, including that internal battle that, that was waged between my ears. You know, I didn't have access to God. I was aware of a, of a higher power, but I didn't have access to God in the way that was to come. Of course, I didn't know it. I heard about it, but I didn't know it. So I guess what I would add to this, you know, this paragraph is, you know, um, assuming we're spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things that alcoholics are not supposed to do. Alcoholics are not supposed to hang out with other alcoholics. You know, you hear that. Um, alcoholics are not supposed to go into bars, you know, for us to go into the bakery, go into, I mean, we're, you know, you know, run through, did you run through the aisles like I did? You know, um, did you, but was your mind constantly fixated on food? Why was that? Why was my mind constantly fixated on food, my binge foods? Wasn't fixated on broccoli and, uh, you know, and uh, in bottled water, okay? It was fixated on other things. And uh, because I had not had, my experience was, I had not had a complete personality change, a psychic change, a spiritual awakening sufficient to arrest this disease. And until I had that as the result of working these steps, how could I know what that felt like? It would only be coming out of the mouths of another recovered person that I would have some sense as to what it was like for them, but it wasn't my experience yet. How simple of a program that you can, anyone can have this, this feeling that I have today if they accept the plan outlined in the book and work, work it according to the precise way that they tell us to work it. No one, God won't do that for you. I can't do that for you. 
no one could do it for me. I spent four and a half years or more. And I know many that are on this line that's done a lot longer than that. But I'll tell you what, it seemed like a lifetime of just working everything but. And I thought through technique and, 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 and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, that that would do it. It didn't. Sanity had <clears throat> could only be restored for me. You know, my attitudes would change the neutrality that we hear about so that I can go anywhere, do anything today um, without that food obsession if I had a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps. So it's quite simple. So what is my life like now? Yeah, I can go anywhere. You know, um, uh, I don't. The obsession's been lifted. And and I can go anywhere and I can do anything in that in that regard. Um and, and I maintain my spiritual fitness, as was said. You know, um, God did this for me. I didn't do this for myself. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Rochelle, you're next. Hi, good morning. This is Rochelle, recovered food addict. I am so delighted to be here. This paragraph is so amazing. And the shares that I've heard before me are so Oh, spiritually benefiting for me, and I uh, don't have a lot to say, so I'll just get into it. Uh, again, it's assuming we are spiritually fit. So I used to be a person who, in order to maintain her weight, would exercise, uh, I would like to say voraciously, which is a word that that you would assume would go with an appetite, which would mean I would exercise perhaps three, four times a week for at least an hour, and uh, that's how I, that's one of the ways, my tricks to maintain my trim weight. Um, trim meaning it was a, a normal size, just kind of a large size. So I mentioned that because um, having worked the steps and working the steps, and uh, and that was what previously kept me physically fit. Um, now uh, it's interesting. I, I don't have to, and I don't know if this is everybody else's experience, I don't have to be working the steps while I'm in the supermarket or going to a festive occasion. It's just like being physically fit meant that when I'm walking down the street, I'm not huffing and puffing. The same thing here. When I go to the supermarket, I'm not breathing deeply and swooning because of the smell of the food on the sugar aisle, you know, the candy. It it means that there's a residue of fitness which accompanies me, and um, I may not be consciously working the steps, although... I have noticed that if I go to the supermarket and I happen to be there like I was yesterday when it's my dinner time and I'm late getting home for whatever reason, I start noticing that, oh, that really smells good. But but then I say, Rochelle, get out of here. It means you've got to go eat your supper. Take care of yourself. So I think that's the difference because um, before program and eat, and I was doing other things, you know, like uh, Weight Watchers or so, um, yeah, it was a real fight. But I am so grateful because there is no fight now. I do not have to fight it at all. All I have to do is breathe deeply, remember my connection to my higher power, and enjoy my life. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Raquel. Yes. Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, who is the moderator, please? I didn't catch. Melanie. Melanie? Hi, yes. Melanie, and thank you for your service. And I, I'd i like to share on assuming we are spiritually fit. There's almost, I can 
measure my spiritual fitness according to just one certain cookie that is in this town in a certain bakery. And sometimes when I pass by there, I just find myself sticking my tongue out at it, you know, just very, very discreetly, like, ah, there it goes for you. Because that was the one thing that used to drive me crazy. But I can measure my spiritual, the level of my spiritual fitness by at sometimes. I, I wouldn't think of biting it any more than I would bite this phone that I'm holding in my hand now. But there are times that the distance closes a little bit. When I'm upset about something and I know that I um, you know, better uh, go to the other uh, sidewalk, the opposite sidewalk. But that's not the main thing I, I wanted to speak about. I, I enjoyed so much listening to everybody. Um, it, it seems that to me that we, we have different intensities of disease and different rates of recovery at different points. And again, it's the rule is this, this real strong honesty about where do I stand. So for me right now, even five years, eight months and 12 days of, of total abstinence, um, I still only eat at home. I'm sorry. Maybe that's what God will want me, and it will be forever. It is still better for me than what I had before. I hope that I'll get to the point where some of you described, but so far going to these eating places where, yes, I can eat in a restaurant by myself and order what I need, and I don't look at other people's, but the combination for me of festivities plus the food around I I will not, I did it, and it's not that I, I ate there, but it takes me a while to catch my balance again because of some good reasons. Many difficult things happened in my family at and as a result of this, um, this big crossroads in life, those significant moments. Uh, enough for me to say uh, a granddaughter is getting married next month, and I'm so happy for her. I know I will do for her many things before and after, but it's not necessary I have to be there if it's not good for me. For somebody who got divorced twice and finally met the guy for whom it was worth surviving and he passed away after five years, wedding canopies are not exactly the place where my feelings are very even, you know. So I will do many nice things for these people before and after, and during, it doesn't mean that I have to risk my very sanity and well-being. And I'll tell you something about sickness, about disease. I think there's something sick about the society that can never, ever get together for nothing without chewing. You know, one of us made herself a birthday. Uh, she was in alcohol to recover from alcohol. She made herself a beautiful birthday with flowers on the table, cold and hot drinks, uh, wonderful music, and everybody brought a poem, and she had little gifts for every one of us. There was one person there from Alcoholics and from AA who kept on saying, well, why didn't you say it's a birthday? Well, they brought a cake. We all looked at her and looked at each other. Most of us were, all of us were just OA people. And, you know, we had a wonderful time. Why is it that everybody's got to chew all the time? Maybe there's something wrong with them too, not just with us. But that's just a thought. 
for me, being a Holocaust survivor, where bread was for me the main thing, and a thing that, that anything that chews mealy in my mouth is a trigger, I can't risk it. To have emotional high and lows and food all around me and then go home and for three weeks be somewhat off balance is for me too risky. If God will want something else for me, he will bring it about. But for now, I'm very happy, especially that yesterday, I, I will stop in a second. Yesterday, somebody sat here with me who had 14 years of clean abstinence, speaking in all the groups, and she's into baking cakes for parties. And a few months ago, she had, not a few months, excuse me, six years ago, she had a slip and she cannot come back. You know, I'm not going to risk it. I don't care what anybody says. God will tell me when it's time for me. And I thank you all for being there and I love you all and have a God-blessed day. And I pass. Thank you, Raquel. Judy F. Good morning, Melanie. This is Judy F. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Great. Good morning. This is Judy F., recovered compulsive reader from Massachusetts. Yes, thank you for this, this paragraph. Thank you for this program. What comes up for me when I read this, um, today is my uh, abstinence anniversary of 23 years of back-to-back abstinence, and it brings me back to, you know, for yesterday, 23 years ago, and today, and the beginning, you know, the beginning of the process, the beginning of um, coming to know a loving God, um, coming to know myself. And um, But the first at least six months, I as I was working, I got right into the step work, thank you, God. Um, but for the first six months, I knew myself. I, I couldn't trust myself. No, a sponsor didn't tell me. I just knew I couldn't go into restaurants. The smells were just too much for me. And I just uh, held on to the what people before me told me, you know, this too shall pass. There will be a day that you can go and none of it will call to you because it would call to me. I had food when I reached my bottom before that I was binging all day and um, it, it was like a graze binging and I could not stop. I wanted to stop. I could not stop. Of my own volition, I couldn't stop. And I went to eating disorder groups. I, I did therapy. I had medication. I, I, I feel like I tried everything. And yet this program, I, I surrendered. I followed directions. I did the work, and I um, and at first I I couldn't. Um, I knew myself, and now since we covered to the last twenty two and a half years, I I can't. I still am amazed at God's power uh, because I was such a low bottom, and I mean I've been to Australia, I've been all over Europe, I've been across the country, I've gone so many places. Weddings, funerals, where there's food everywhere, buffets, and it's still, it's like I always say, wow, thank you, God. It just, it looks just pretty. Um, it looks like an inanimate object, not what it used to be was my solution to everything and my way of numbing or my way of 
relaxing or, I mean, it was everything to me. I, I can't stress that enough. And it's this power and so spiritually fit for me today and is getting up in the morning, um, getting on my knees, having time with God, both praying and meditating, writing um, my answers to my 11-step questions, praying with a group, bringing God into my day, doing 10 steps when I need to, and then bringing people through the steps. I love it. I love that I can keep going through the steps with others, and every time I do, I learn so much from my sponsees and from the book, and I love this meeting. It keeps me, it's part of my spiritual fitness um, that I either can get here live or I listen to it and uh, daily by the recording. So I'm just grateful to be one among many, you know, just another compulsive overeater recovered, but that's trudging this road, and it's to such... It, it, the, the freedom, I, I can't even speak of it um, because it's just so awesome. It, the power, the power of God and the effectiveness of the steps um, got me here and I, I want to stay. So it's a day at a time and it's spiritual progress. Thank you. Thank you, Judy F. Patty, Patty yeah. M. Yes, Hello. This is Patty M. from California, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And um, I would just like to talk about assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. I came into the rooms of uh, food programs, 12-step food programs in 2001, and went many years of white-knuckle abstinence and then relapsing and then white-knuckle abstinence. I would go into a coffee shop and I, all I would do was look inside of where the, where the pastries were and I'd just stare at them and think, which one would I get if I was eating today? You know, the food was constantly on my mind. And my sponsors would tell me, you're not working the tools hard enough. Work them harder. I'd call 10 people instead of three. I'd do whatever it took and the food just would not leave my mind. Or my obsession with my weight. You know, it had to be a certain weight. And I was just obsessed with it. Obsessed with working out. Obsessed with spending hours in the gym. Um, it was just craziness. And, and this was all, you know, in recovery and abstinence. Not in recovery and abstinence. But um, after someone told me about a vision and I got a big book sponsor and went through the steps, and not only went through the steps, but started living in steps 10, 11, and especially in 12 for me, I was able to um, get freedom from the food, which is such a miracle for me. I'm able to go into those coffee shops now, and I don't even know that there's pastries there. I don't even think about them. That is such a miracle for me. I used to walk in the grocery store. The first thing they always put there were the sweet items. And now I don't even know if they're there or not. Truthfully, I don't look. Uh, it is just such a miracle. And when I have problems come up today, um, I've been having some problems in my marriage. I've been having some other problems. You know, it says we throw ourselves harder into working with others, which I'm doing. And that is such a blessing. Working with others will save a day, as Bill said. And it just saves my day. I'm so grateful to the program and everyone on this line. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. And thank you, everyone. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Patty. And I think that I did hear Miriam, did I? 
Looks like we could take one, maybe two more to share. Hiya. Yes, Melanie, I did call. <laughs> hi, Miriam, and then Hiya. Hiya, you will take us to the end of the meeting, and Miriam, you go first. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you very much. This is Miriam calling from Israel, uh, compulsive overeater, living in the solution one day at a time. Uh, the paragraph here starts saying, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. What does it really mean to be spiritually fit? Spiritually fit, it means, you know, our disease is a spiritual disease, so we, the solution, the only solution that we have is a spiritual solution, which is going back to God. And what do the steps do is actually that. Very slowly, we, we go through the steps, and hopefully, you know, we get a better, uh, more open connection to our higher power. But we have to remember that we're not cured from alcoholism or, or from food addiction or whatever. Uh, what it says here in page 85, it says, we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the, the vision of God into all our activities. How can I thus serve you, your will, not mine be done? This is constant work. You know, when we finish doing the steps and, and our amends and we already, you know, we get ready to already take sponsees or people to guide, uh, we have to remember that step 10, 11, and 12, they are work every moment. And, you know, in every situation in our lives, you know, whether it's with the food, whether it's with a relationship with someone or, or whatever, uh, you know, I need... I need every day to practice this, you know, my to see where where my side of the street in in the case of step ten and step eleven to to improve my prayers and my meditation, my quiet time, to take all my promise to God, and twelve is uh, you know to give service and to pass the message to others to the best of my ability. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam. And Haya, thank you. You're next and last. Thank, thank you, Melanie. Hi, everyone. This is Haya, very grateful, recovered, compulsive eater and bulimic. And uh, I want to say uh, ditto to what Miriam just said. Um, you know, we can go all sorts of places assuming we're spiritually fit. And, um, you know, my, my, I have family members that had uh, broken bones at a relatively young age and found that there was osteoporosis, right? So I decided at the age of about 40 that maybe I should be proactive and start doing some weight-bearing exercises, taking calcium, things like that, so that I could strengthen my bones. And so I do that on a very regular basis. And a lot of you know I've been traveling this month a lot, and so I missed those consistent opportunities. And guess what? When I went back to the little weightlifting class that I go to, I had to reduce the weight that I usually lift because my 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 muscles started going back, you know, they were they were not as strong. And I use that analogy for my spiritual fitness. You know, eating today is not I'm not battling, I'm not going up a down escalator when it comes to food. Uh, but the spiritual maintenance is, it's a, it's a down escalator in the sense that I have to be very active, you know, uh, with that, just as Miriam just said, my purpose in the world, and I was just discussing this with um, my sponsor yesterday was, you know, we were talking about, you know, I said, you know, I, I took step three, what does step three means? It means that I 
was going to commit to going through these these steps, learning a certain skill set, which I now practice on a very regular basis throughout the day called step 10, that, that four through nine is all throughout the day, that, I, that step 11 is trying to improve that conscious contact that I now have with God, uh, that I just had an inkling about in step two, that there was a power, and in step three, turning my will over to this power that I didn't really know as well as I hoped, thought, wanted to, believed, until I went through that process and was able to clear out the, the, the gook, the schmutz that was blocking me, and I have to stay really clear. And so when I'm really clear, when I am uh, improving that conscious contact on a daily basis, the book is very explicit about how we do that, and working with others, that means that when I go to these all sorts of places, I'm not thinking about me. Now, I'd love to tell you that I never think about me in that sense. That's not true. That's why, thank God, we have step 10, right? Because I am supposed to be an ambassador to this higher power, which means I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about the you and we, and that is why I can go to all sorts of places. I loved what Janice said earlier in the meeting, that there, she went on a cruise uh, – you know, someone spoke earlier, went on a cruise abstinent and went on a cruise recovered. Very different experience. It's the same thing as I had a friend very, very many, many years ago. She said, my father, who her father was an alcoholic. My father was dry for 19 years. Thank God he finally drank. Why? Because dry was that untreated alcoholic restless, irritable, and discontent without that thing, the alcohol, to rest that, right, to, to, to appease it, but he didn't have the, the God to truly appease it, and that's what we replace here. So if we're, you know, when I, I've been white-knuckled abstinent, and that is like being dry. That is painful, right? So I am so grateful that I can go to all sorts of places, but I must take my spiritual temperature. I have to take, not my emotional temperature, my spiritual temperature. Where is my spiritual compass pointing? Is it pointing at you, at God, which ultimately points me to the people you know, around me? How can I be of service? Or is it pointing to me? What am I getting out of this situation? What's, how are you serving me? When I'm in that place, I'm not spiritually fit, and I am at risk of picking up. Why? Because when I'm not spiritually fit, I have that restless, irritable, and discontentedness that I will, the doctor's opinion says that I will take, you know, I need to fix, fix that, right? But we know, we learn through the study, and I love this Overeaters Anonymous meeting that's fondly called The Vision for You, as, uh, because of the chapter, that studies this book, that studies this textbook, that teaches me the directions so that I can be spiritually fit and therefore go anywhere. And you know what? Those alcoholics, they fed other alcoholics alcohol. They went and bought it and fed it to them when they were detoxing because it's, they, they needed to drink in order to detox, which sounds crazy, right? How Thank did they you, do Hania. that? Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for sharing today. And now we will close the meeting with a reading for, from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
Marcella M., would you please close us out today with a reading of 164? Uh, sure. I want to start with 164. Our book is meant to just book, right? Yes, you're cutting in and out, so too. Oh, okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do for what you can do each day for the mountain circuit. The answers will come if you own houses in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't thought. See to it that your relationship with him is right. I think that we've lost Marcella. Marie P., could I get you to read page 164? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. To close us out. Melanie, I'd be glad to do that if you want. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.